This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Hello and welcome to the return of Total Saints podcast after a brief break through lack of Saints in the FA Cup action. We're a dedicated Saints podcast going to the heart of all things Southampton FC. It's been another busy week with the closing of the January transfer window, not that you can necessarily call that busy from a Saints point of view, as well as games against Crystal Palace and Burnley. We'll reflect on all that, as well as looking ahead to our fixture against Cardiff City next weekend. Sandwiched in the middle, we'll have our latest Total Recall, where, a little like Grant Coleman a couple of weeks ago, it's actually a yesteryear person this week, as 1976 FA Cup winner Jim McCalliog joins myself and the Saints Archive chaps Will Dorr and Leon Burton. We talked to Jim about his time with Saints, winning the 1976 FA Cup, of course, and some of his thoughts on today's team. Right, first, the uh, bad news, if you can call it that, depending on your own view. Um, Adam is actually away for a couple of weeks, so won't be on this week or next week's podcast. However, Steve is here, and I'm pleased to say Sam Appleton, who is a Saints fan and works for Sky Sports News, is as well. Sam, thanks for joining us. Um, Pretty big boots to fill, if I'm honest. Yeah, no pressure. Thanks for having me on. It's good to have you. And uh, yeah, like myself and uh, Steve as well, you were freezing off various parts of your anatomy up at Burnley yesterday, right? Yeah, still falling out now, I think. <laughs> yeah, how did you how did you get up there? Drive, plane, train? Uh, I got the train to yeah. Preston and then managed to get a cab from Preston both ways, which uh, was, wasn't ideal, but Northern Rail did us over. They did indeed, yeah. We were going to train it down, but in the end we drove for that exact reason that uh, no one sounded overly optimistic. We spoke to a couple of cab companies in Burnley about what was going on, but uh, everyone made it home. That's the main thing. And uh, Steve, before we crack on, I know you're... Uh, probably talk about it in the pod but you predicted Saints to draw one all against Palace this week and one all against Burnley so the prediction league now has you at 18 points Adam at 13 and me at 12 so you've absolutely romped it this week 
Yeah, I'm feeling rather smug with myself this week. <laughs> it's yes, yeah, just one of those where kind of everything just falls into place for those sort of predictions, isn't it? I mean, mm. I, I'm pretty sure I, I predicted Ashley Barnes to score for Burnley, and there's this online game that I play, Goal Scorer Challenge, right. uh, where where you have to pick a different player to score each week. Mm. Um, and I, so I picked Ashley Barnes for this weekend, and I, and I picked mm. Zaha for the midweek games. Right. Uh, essentially, my tactic is to basically pick someone who's going to score against saints because we've kept so few clean sheets this season that just seems a no-brainer that someone's going to get there i know absolutely um, i mean there are there are certain players that just always score against us like barnes barnes i think has now scored scored five times against us yeah um including like games he's played for brighton as well I know, pretty depressing stuff. And of course, uh, Leachy sent a message through saying, I wanted 1 1. You know what he's like. So uh, there we go. Tough, well, if, if, tough he'd, if, he'd re- if he'd replied to the message first, he'd have had 1 1. So he that's... doesn't learn, Steve, does he? He doesn't <laughs> learn. But uh, there we go. Anyway, good stuff. So, well, nice to have you on uh, as well, Sam. And um, before we move on, I'm uh, really appreciative to be able to say that we've had a, a group of TSP patrons sign up via patreon.com slash Total Saints Pod over the last couple of weeks since our last podcast. We're now uh, up and over 20 patrons. So, very much appreciated. So just want to give a big TSP thank you and shout out to Richard Watts, Paul Nairn and Ben Wilder, who've all signed up in the last couple of weeks since TSP 61. Thanks, guys. As I said, really, really do appreciate it. And uh, the support does go a long way to helping keep the podcast going now and uh, hopefully the, you know, developing it over the coming weeks and month. Uh, lastly, I just wanted to say congratulations to our sponsor for this season as well. Happy Hot Tubs on their recent 2018 International Dealer of the Year Award via Hot Springs. So very well done to James, Simon and the team there at Happy Hot Tubs. Right, that's the intro done. Let's get on with the Total Saints podcast, episode 62, in partnership with saintsarchive.com, saintsworld.co.uk and sponsored by happyhottubs.co.uk. Happyhottubs.co.uk At Happy Hot Tubs, we specialise in hot tubs. It's all we've done for 35 years. So if you're thinking about a hot tub and want to speak to someone, then we're the place for honest, clear and friendly advice. Plus, right now we have 0% available on our hot tubs, meaning you can spread the cost in easy payments. You deserve happy. Come and get it at Happy Hot Tubs. Conditions apply. Visit happyhottubs.co.uk Happyhottubs.co.uk 0% excludes free throw range. Saints have back-to-back games this week, firstly drawing 1-1 at home to Crystal Palace before another rather heartbreaking 94th minute 1-1 draw up at a freezing Burnley. When all is said and done, it's left them still unbeaten in the Premier League in 2019 and currently 16th in the table. Reflecting on Palace first then, Steve, a frustrating performance in some areas, but possibly down to not having a game for 10 days or so. What did you make of it? Yeah, I thought we we weren't really at the races for the most part. Um, I mean, to be fair, credit credit to Palace, and I think we raised this in the pod before that game that they were they were the sort of team that would probably have a system that would work well against us, mm. and and so it turned out. And to be honest, I'd have taken a draw before the game, and given the way the game turned out, absolutely delighted to have um, to have come away with that point because. For for the vast majority of that game, we didn't look like we were gonna we were gonna make the breakthrough. I mean, we we huffed and puffed, and we had a lot of the ball, and we kind of tried tried to make things happen. But Palace were very well organised defensively. Um, they shut down every 
every sort of little angle that we were trying to play, like all the all the little cute through balls through the channels for the likes of Target and uh, Redmond to run onto, they knew exactly where we were going to put it. So they um, they were able to able to block it off really well, I thought. Mm. And Sam, I mean, Palace have beaten Manchester City, done pretty well up at Liverpool, only losing 4-3 up there. They then beat Spurs in the Cup. So, you know, we know that they're a decent side. And I, I guess it's a, a sign of how far Saints have come under Hazenhutl, that they can play pretty poorly as they did against Palace, but still now pick up a point yeah definitely I mean that Palace are definitely the sort of team that we we would struggle against they're quite similar to West Ham in a way in terms of counter-attacks they're going to absolutely well, murder us basically because our lack of pace in the side credit to Hodgson really um, completely shot off the, the balls into wings and then I think a lot of time only, only touches Jack Stevens had in that game because he just seemed to be the only person who wanted to get onto the ball and then I think the fans started getting a bit frustrated with him when he, when he didn't go forward with it. We just didn't have any options because Palace completely shut off the uh, middle of the park for us. And, um, yeah, we seemed to struggle. And, I mean, the only, the only bit of decent football we seemed to put together in the whole match was the goal. Yeah, yeah. And another goal for James Ward-Prowse and Sam. So, someone that's been very much revitalised under Ralph Hasenhutl. Under Pochettino, he was, was obviously a similar sort of football. He was He seemed to flourish quite a bit, but... He just obviously he's been in the team now for what six and a half years and he's never found his position and now he well obviously he played right wing back yesterday but he seems to have really like kicked on recently which which is much needed because obviously there was talk in the summer of him of him moving on. And speaking of Prousey then Steve um, I, I don't want to dwell on the Palace game too much because it was obviously last week but I do absolutely want to get your view and I'm sure everyone will love listening to your view on Wilfred Zaha sending off there and uh, a quite bizarre and hilarious incident um, you know I think it's good to see uh, a referee taking a, a stance for a change but yeah obviously talking about the uh, Ivorian Tom Daly as we uh, probably know him but uh, yeah what did you make of all that because it was quite a bizarre incident as I say absolutely amazing Gen- <laughs> genuinely one of the funniest things I've, I've seen at a game for a long long time yeah, yeah. um i mean when zaha first sort of burst into the palace team out of their academy um back when we were with them in the championship together and um he earned a reputation for going down easily and basically if you kicked him early in the game then you wouldn't hear a peep out of him for the for the rest of the game and you'd be mm. able to shut shut that avenue off very easily um he's obviously developed his game and become a lot more robust and I mean, he's just an he's just a much better player now as well um I mean, he's, he's an incredible player and mm. i mean if palace didn't have him they would be in a whole world of trouble yeah um so it's understandable that teams are going to target him when when you've got a team where one player is so far above the level of of their teammates of course you, you're going to be targeted and for the for the most part i think zaha generally doesn't react so i i don't really know how it got to the stage where someone who seems so relatively mild-mannered as james ward prowse mm. is the one that is the trigger point for him going absolutely mental I don't really know why he felt he needed to to do it. You know, he just clearly lost his mind, didn't he? I think he was just, he was just fed up. I mean, yeah, we'd been we'd been kicking lumps out of him for most of the game, as we usually do, and as I as I expect most teams do when they play against him. But ultimately, a lot of the problems were caused by the referee Andre Mariner because mm. there were I reckon there were probably probably six or seven incidents where there was a decision to be made of whether it's a foul or not. Mariner's given him the free kick for two or three, I think. Um, At least one of which just wasn't a foul in a month of Sundays. And then there were a couple on the flip side where he's not given the foul where there very clearly should have been one. There was one, I think it was um, 
I think Bednarek slid in on him in the sort of Northern Kingsland corner um, midway I think through. It was Valerie, uh, uh, yeah. Oh, was it? yeah, 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 but yeah, yeah, but yeah, like right in the Northern Kingsland corner, and and the ref gave a gave a corner for it, but he clearly went right through his ankle first to get mm. the ball. Clearly a foul, and even though the ref was behind him, he should still have been able to see that. Um, and then of course there was the one which obviously kicked off the whole incident with about three minutes to go where Percy's clearly barged him over and it's clearly a foul and the refs just waved it away and we've got a throwing out of it. And I can only just assume with Zahar, it's just a case of, I'm just fed up with this crap. Been kicked from pillar to post for 87 minutes. Like you feel that injustice of the refs not giving me any protection. Um, Life's so unfair. So therefore I'm going to take the law into my own hands. Um, I mean, I, I think he was he was actually quite lucky not to get a straight red, mm. I think, because obviously Ward-Prowse does this sort of weird sort of fake part, chest pass to him uh, with, with the ball in his hands. Um, and that's what obviously triggers it all. Mm. He kind of sw- swung a punch, but it was but it ended up being a push into the shoulder. Mm. And I mean, some referees could easily have interpreted that as an actual punch yeah. and just just sent him off straight straight away for that. And I, I don't think he could have had any um, any argument there either. But I mean, the, the way it all transpired, particularly with um, with obviously the um, hand clap in the direction of the referee and then continuing on as he left the pitch. It's just that's just incredible. Just so funny. I know. Sam, we'll come on to talk about Ashley Barnes throwing his arms around uh, the Burnley game as well, which was probably even worse, to be honest. But, uh, I mean, is it refreshing to see a referee send someone off for that? Bearing in mind, you know, our understanding, I think, as fans was that any real abuse or lack of respect towards officials should be dealt with in that way. So was it nice to finally see a referee uh, act on it? Uh, well, I have to agree with Steve. It was absolutely hilarious. I mean, that times I've been seeing Crystal Palace over the past few years and just wanted that to happen. <laughs> it finally did. In terms of the referee, I mean, Andre Mariner is clearly... The way he carries himself on the pitch, he's quite an arrogant referee, in my yeah, opinion. Agree. Basically, if you're going to challenge, become challenge a guy's arrogance and try and be the star of the show, I think Mariner's going to go, hang on a minute, this is this is my game, I'll, you're, you're off. Mm. And, um, I mean, Ward Prowse completely did, did him a kipper. Yeah. And I think, was he going to get a two-game ban now, I think? And well, I think it's still being processed, isn't it? Because he was obviously charged, and I imagine they're trying to work out, but... Uh, well, yeah. They'll have they'll have um, all week now to sort that out because obviously he had the one match mandatory ban for the red card yeah. um, over the weekend, and obviously they've not they won't have a game till till next weekend now, so they have got all week to process that and decide what what he's going to get. I'd be I'd be very surprised if he doesn't get another another one or two games on top of that. I saw someone say that he should get a, a game ban for every time he started clapping, so that would be like five or six games by the time he got to the uh, side of the pitch. But uh, yeah, it was just a, a bizarre, bizarre incident. But uh, look, just finally on um, January then, Sam, it was nice to see Hasenhutl nominated for Manager of the Month and uh, Prousey for Player of the Month. I think both of them fair, you know, bearing in mind we've been unbeaten and Prousey's had a good month. At time of recording, it's not been announced. I think probably expect certainly the Manager's Award to go to Oli Gunnar Solskjaer. But yeah, from a Saints point of view, nice to finally have some positive to talk about in terms of recognition yeah definitely I mean it wouldn't surprise me because obviously I mean Southgate's been a massive fan of Walpole's in the past and probably jumping the gun a little bit because it's only been a month but I think he might be, might be back in the reckoning for that soon mm. and it's just it's, it's quite nice to see him finally he seems to have bulked up a bit and seems to have been a bit stronger on the ball and he just seems to be affecting games which a lot of the time he only seems to affect games when we're playing well whereas especially like Wednesday night you get in the box to score a goal like that it's it's good to see because Saints obviously going down the cul-de-sac in that game. Mm. So it's nice to see someone step up and it's nice for once for it to be him. 
All right, well, moving on to the Burnley game, I think, as we uh, said, all three of us have only just defrosted from it. But uh, it was a disappointing uh, end to the game. Um, you know, I, I suppose another point towards safety. And the, the most important thing about six pointers, Steve, which I think both Palace and Burnley were deemed, is if you can't win them, then don't lose them. Yeah, I think so. I mean, ultimately, we're, we're unbeaten against both of those sides, home and away this season. So yep. you kind of take that as a slight positive, I guess. I mean, that Burnley home game was immediately forgettable but um <laughs> palace away was was decent in the end albeit under a lot of pressure second half mm. but yeah i think as long as you're not losing to the teams around you then you're probably going to keep your head above water yeah um i mean obviously uh, conceding that last minute penalty is is obviously gutting and um what's that 14 points now dropped from winning positions this season um yeah we'd be comfortably in the top half if we'd if we'd held on to most of those, even if not all of them. Um, so, yeah, it's obviously dis- disappointing the way it came about. But I think over the sort of 94 minutes, I think the draw was probably about fair. Yeah, I'd, I'd agree, Sam. I think my view that even driving back up yesterday and the, we were just saying before I stopped at the uh, services on the way back, it was minus 10 and I got out and I was actually thinking then, you know, and the same this morning that probably over the course of the 90 minutes, as Steve says, unbiased opinion was the draw was probably a fair result. Yeah, and also they definitely should have had a penalty in the first half. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, it was a fair result. They obviously they struck the bar near the end. I can't really think of many other chances we had apart from, apart from the goal. Wall Prowse that, that header, that, that header, yeah, that was about it, wasn't it? So. In, Ings Ings early on, yeah, and Long Long had the header cleared off the line as well. But yeah, I mean, there wasn't. They certainly had a lot more chances than than us, I thought, Sam. Yeah, but I'm quite used to Saints starting second half really slowly and not getting into the game. But probably the Haas and Hootel, I mean. The second half, we came out out of the traps brilliantly, and I mean the way we, we were playing, we really should have closed the game out and maybe even got a couple more goals. I mean, the midfield we absolutely controlled it for the first 20 minutes of the second half. Yeah, the game certainly seemed to open up for a bit. I remember saying I was stood next to my brother and sort of said it seems to be opening up a bit, maybe around the just sort of five ten minutes before we scored, and I thought that was probably a better omen for Saints bearing in mind the amount of uh, pace we had. Uh, I, you know, I actually thought we defended pretty well, Steve. Generally, I mean, until obviously Crouchy came on, and it was utter chaos in our box. But I have to say, I thought Vestergaard was particularly good. I, I thought he, you know, especially in the second half, a couple of great blocks and a couple of. Uh, dominant headers but yeah disappointing to, to obviously let the goal in in that style and talking of the penalty Sam sort of mentioned it there I was sat in the, the second row actually so the crossbar at uh, this end of the pitch was uh, meant it was quite hard to see the Barnes incident I've heard some people say it definitely wasn't a penalty some people say it definitely was having seen it today again you know McCarthy sort of goes down in installments but Barnes does much the same and in terms of the Crouchy header again you know obviously he's handled, handled it onto Stephen's arm but Stephen's arm's up and I thought at the time you know clear view of it from the other end of the pitch it looked like a penalty and you'd imagine that Anthony Taylor was going to give it so do you, do you think he sort of got one wrong one right he sort of gave one to cancel out the other from the, the pressure of that or got them both wrong got them both right what, what did you think I don't I don't think it was a it was a one of I mean you quite often get this this sort of situation in games don't you where referees give a decision realize they've screwed up and then give something equally stupid at the other end to to kind of address the balance but I, I don't think that's really what happened here I think no. I genuinely think he thought he got it right in the first half. I mean, from where I was stood, I mean, I was right at the back of the stand, so I had a reasonable view of it. Yeah. But I think from the angle that we were at and the pace of how the incident happened, I think ultimately 
the people down on the pitch were the ones in the best view. Yeah. Um, so I think the referee's got to have a good view of that. Well, I, I looked at him straight away, Steve, and he put his he put the uh, the whistle well, to his he, mouth. He, he was, he was giving he his decision one way or the other. Yeah, but he wasn't he wasn't going to give the penalty. He was definitely he put the whistle to his mouth, but he was definitely looking at his linesman to get him to make the decision. I think he left it three or four seconds, decided the linesman hadn't given it, and that's when he decided he was going to book him. So you're right, he he clearly you know wanted a bit of help, didn't he? Yeah, and thing with those is you can never always have the right angle mm. um obviously the tv cameras you've got 30 odd cameras in the ground so you can always find a better angle than the one that um that you see see it at first first viewing the referee's only got one look mm. linesman's only got one look as soon as it happened i just assumed he was going to give a penalty yeah, um but at the same time you thought well if he's not giving a penalty, then that is definitely a dive. Yeah, yeah. Talk us through the reaction then, Steve. I mean, what did you make of all that? Because I, as I say, I thought it was worse than Zaha, you know, going oh, yeah, over it's, and... Oh, yeah, it's it's a million times worse because mm. Ashley Barnes gets up, gets into the linesman's face, like he he sprints over to him, waving his waving his arms around, effort and blinding into his, um, like right into the guy's face, and then he walks away, and then he comes back for another go. There's no wonder there's a problem with um, respect for officials in uh, at grassroots level when players at the top of the game are being allowed to get away with um, with stuff like that. Yeah. It's an absolute disgrace that it, that he was allowed to do that because obviously he's got he's been booked for the dive and then there should be at least a yellow, if not a straight red, yeah. for the abuse there. And you're now going to have kids who are playing on a Sunday morning, um, adults who are playing on a Sunday morning think that well that guy who's um who's doing us a favor and is only being paid 20 quid or whatever to to referee this this sunday league game in the um in the driving rain on a on a horrible mud bath we've now got carte blanche to just abuse him for 90 minutes Mm. because ashley barnes of burnley decides that the guy who's who's a professional referee being being paid a salary of 75 grand a year um is being paid to take that stuff so it's fine for the guy lower down and you're gonna have more referees are gonna are gonna jack it in yeah i was just saying to you both before i came on that i got a uh, facebook uh, memory through yesterday that uh, reminded me that six years ago uh, so it says ben we care about you and the memories you share here we thought you'd like to look back on this post from six years ago it was a picture of uh Wigan Athletic, which I'm sure as many Saints fans will remember, Sean Maloney scored a last-minute injury uh, time equaliser that day. So, of course, uh, I didn't think that was a particularly good omen to get at 6 o'clock in the morning from Facebook. And uh, as it proves, Sam, um, last-minute equaliser, as we mentioned there. Um, I guess it's a point we would have taken before the game, but I think it just, um, you know, Burnley is a tough place to go to, and they've been on a decent run. They've been unbeaten this year. So I think whilst many of us will look back and think it is two points that could be crucial at the end of the season, it is still another point gained over overall in terms of you know the, the run under Hasenhutl? I think the point maybe looks worse now just because of Cardiff's result last night. Agreed. Just, I mean, a bit gutting being in the tax on the way home, just having talk spot on and then Cardiff are 2-0 up and they're only two points behind, especially with the big game next week. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I definitely would have taken a point before the game. I was, I was saying to my friend who I went with, I said, well, this is literally, when I think of, back, think of Saints teams over the last few years, this is the place where I think we won't fancy it. We won't mm. fancy it at all. But um, no credit credit to him for the performance. But yeah, obviously you get you get to the 90th minute. I mean, I, I stupidly start thinking in my head, oh, we're looking at 14 here. Could be looking at could be could be, uh, could be level with Brighton. And uh, as a Saints fan, you sort of become immune to it, don't you? 
you do, you, you, you expect the worst, don't you? I mean, I, I was looking at the clock up in the uh, the far left corner, and it was like, yeah, you looked at it, and it says 72 minutes, and then you looked at it 10 minutes later, and it said 73 minutes, and then you looked at it another 10 minutes later, and it said 75 minutes. It was, you know, I was aging very quickly there, especially when Crouchy came on, as I said. But uh, n- another goal for Nathan Redmond, uh, thanks to the wooden seats at Burnley that are particularly uh, close. I'm uh, wearing a particular shin injury today from that goal, but that's 6-10 and 10 for him now. So we spoke about Prousey earlier, Sam, but another player that's been really revitalised under the, uh, the new manager yeah I'm really happy for him because I sit where I sit in the northern end he seems to get a lot of stick like say say compared to other people if they make a mistake or give it give the ball away or whatever yeah. miss a chance he seems to get so much more stick than any other I'm sure you've, I'm sure you've been through it countless times on here he just mm. gets a lot of stick for absolutely no reason and he, this season he's been our player of the year by an absolute streak yeah I know Hoyblow's had a good season but he's, the fact is he's missed six games through getting getting himself stupidly suspended but you know he's completely he's come on so well, and I'm really happy for him because he seems. To, I think it's been quite documented. He's, he's found it quite tough over the last 18 months or so. Yeah, but no, it's really good to see. Yeah, and um, I mean, I, I do worry if he's the one. I do worry about if if we do get an injury to him. Mm. Where's where's our pace? Where's our flair coming from? Where's our creativity? Because Ings, you can sort of. I mean, Long could do a job for us. I mean, I wish he'd done a job of taking the ball into the corner yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so, I know. Yeah, Redmond is the one worry I have. I also find it quite I find it quite poetic that Crouch is on the pitch when um, Long didn't take the ball into the corner like Everton in 2005. Yeah, but, we, we all remember that one, don't we? Yeah, exactly. Um, speak, speaking of uh, injuries and speaking of Ings, then uh, Steve, another frustration for all of us, I think. No, no more so than Danny, but yeah, he, he doesn't seem to be fit for too long, does he? I, I, mean, I guess we knew about the injury record, but it's starting to become a bit of a problem for Saints. That. Yeah, I mean, the problem is you just you can't plan anything. Mm. I mean, I, I still don't know. Like there was there was talk a few months back that when the deal was done on deadline day and back in August uh, for Ings to join us, it was loan with an obligation to buy. Now, I'd heard um, about a month or so after that, that actually there basically is one get out. And that is if he's not fit and available for a certain number of games this season. Right. Um, I don't know what that number is and I don't know whether it's entirely true or not. Uh, But if it is then you're probably hovering around that sort of number now, I would think. Yeah. And I do wonder whether, if it's an option, we might actually just take the pragmatic option and say, thanks, but no thanks. Mm. I guess it's, uh, you know, the manager's changed, hasn't we? I think we're evident that this yeah. was someone that Mark Hughes wanted. Um, you know, I think we all want Danny Ings, so that's fine. But again, it might be that Hazen Hutu has a totally different plan at the end of the season, which again may depend on whether they stay up or go down. So there are probably a lot more ifs and buts now than there would have been when he signed on that, that last minute of uh, the transfer window. Yeah, certainly. And just finally then, I was going to get your view on, uh, we spoke about Prousey earlier. What, what did you make of him at right back, Steve? Because I guess my sort of immediate thought watching it was, he, you know, we lost his impact of him driving through midfield and particularly first half, you know, he just seemed to be coming backwards with the ball, passing it back to McCarthy and things like that. So it kind of nullified the, the, the real sort of strengths that he has, I thought. And again, we've not bought anyone in the transfer window, which we'll talk about in a minute. So he kind of is probably going to be that second, third option for right back now. To be honest, I thought he did okay. I think um, with Hoiberg not available because of the head injury he got against um, against Palace in midweek, I think we needed that extra body of having Armstrong in there as well. And I mean, Slattery obviously came in and he he kind of did basically did the War Prowse role. And to be honest, I thought I thought up until the last 10, 15 minutes or so, I thought he was excellent. Yeah, I agree. Um, he, he tired, and I was very surprised that it was um, Armstrong that was taken off and not Slattery. Mm. Yeah. But 
I mean, Ward-Prowse obviously played right wing back for the last 20 minutes or so against Palace, got the goal from that position. And I guess with his skill set in terms of his crossing ability, I think it kind of makes a bit of sense, especially in a game where while you're away from home, you're probably still expecting to have a fair amount of the ball. Yeah. Um, I think Ward-Prowse is just better on the ball than Valerie. And speaking of Valerie, when we brought him on, I thought that was the substitution that actually knocked our momentum and positional discipline out. Mm. Because even though he came into a position that he's been playing for most of the season, I don't think there was a single moment during the 15, 20 minutes he was on the pitch where he was actually playing right wing back a minute into injury time. And he's making a run beyond Shane Long to run beyond the strikers. Like, what are you doing? We're trying to defend a 1-0 lead here. Yeah, sure, we're on the counter-attack, but that's not your role. You get the hell back. And Warpraft's moving into midfield, where he already had the mindset of, I'm playing right wing-back. And as the game wore on, he he grew into that role. And by the second half, the lad they had on, out on the left wing, uh, Dwight McNeil, who I, I thought was quite good in the first half. I agree, yeah, he was. Um, didn't get kicked second half because perhaps he just shut it, shut it down completely. It was notable, wasn't um, it? Yeah, he, he yeah. certainly swung a few crosses in first half, but I can't really remember one in the second half, as you say. Yeah, it all every, everything down that side came from um, came from the, the left, left back, back table, yeah, yeah. Um, and they were all crosses from deep. There was no, they they didn't get anything on the on the overlap at all. And that was because perhaps he worked out what he needed to do in that, in that situation. He read the game really well. As ever with Saints, certainly on deadline day anyway, it was a quiet January transfer window. Reflecting on the window... Overall then, Steve, I guess in terms of uh, incomings, uh, which there wasn't any, um, are you surprised by that or, uh, you know, whatever the reasons may be, uh, thought they may have brought one or two players in? Um, not especially. Um, I thought that once certain players left, I thought we might have we might have looked to bring in another player in those specific positions. So when Gabby Dini and, and Cedric left, I thought might maybe we might get might get another striker or another right back. But... Ultimately, Hasenhutl has set his stall out that we're not going to do any business in January unless someone who can come in and be in the team for the next two years. There's no point in doing some sort of short-term deal just for the sake of it. Uh, we might as well hold on to that cash and, and use it for, um, and apologies for going all tabloid here, but uh, use it for a transfer war chest in the, <laughs> in the summer. Yeah. Um, and I mean, let's face it, we're going we're gonna to be busy in the summer. Yeah. Um, or at least we bloody well should be. Exactly. Um, but ultimately, this this window was about trimming the squad because it's got up to a ridiculous level to the extent where you had players that are over the age of um, 21 that weren't registered for the senior team because we'd already used all our, all our spaces up. So Marcus Barnes had obviously had this ridiculous run of form for the under 23s in the first half of the season but we couldn't use him in the first team Mm. and now he's actually available and i think has been registered um now he's nowhere to be seen because he's not been playing for the under 23s yeah um so that's a little bit unfortunate all of that but yeah i mean it was it was all about cutting the wage bill getting a few players out of the door i mean particularly likes of cedric who by all accounts has been a bit of a pain in the arse in recent recent times so, yeah, I mean, I think ultimately we didn't bow to pressure. Yeah. Um, we didn't bow to, like, I mean, obviously we were, we were linked with a number of players 
how sort of realistic those were. I mean, players like um, uh, Mepham, who ended up at Bournemouth, mm-hmm. and um, I think Ollie Watkins is the striker at Brentford, who we were linked with. Mm. Um, but once the prices got up to got up to more than we were willing to pay, we walked away. Yeah. And and by the sound of it, similar with Che Adams at Birmingham as well. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a good sign yeah. that we're not just going to pay whatever whatever someone wants us to pay. We're actually going to hold firm, and if it means we if it means we don't get the player in January, we don't get the player in January. We're already on an upward trajectory. Yeah. If you compare from from now to the beginning of December, um, I think the the points per game record that Hasenhutl's had in his time here, basically, if you extrapolate that over the rest of the season, we'll finish on um, 44 points. Yeah. Which could conceivably get you in the top half. Yeah, I was going to ask you, Sam. I mean, the problem, of course, for for Saints has been, as Steve mentioned, there trying to get rid of some of the players in the squad that maybe uh, aren't in uh, Hasenhutl's plans. And uh, the issue, of course, is no one wants to buy them because they're not particularly good. So we're having to sort of loan them out, which means that I imagine Saints are subsidising some of the wages. So certainly the coffers aren't as uh, overflowing as some fans may like to to think. But I don't want to tempt fate here, Sam. But do you think there's enough talent and enough sort of ability in the the squad now that uh, you know this team has got the depth to to make sure that it stays up this season? Yeah, I do. I mean, obviously injuries can happen, suspensions happen, but in terms of the squad we've got, the first team, first eleven, the team that played yesterday is good enough to stay up. You look at, I think there's only with Fulham yesterday. I think there's only one relegation place left, and that, again, probably tempting fate. <laughs> And obviously we play, play Cardiff next week and I think the squad's good enough. I would have liked to have seen the right back in, but mm. if we can't get who we want, I mean, in January, it's so hard to get players in. We, we just haven't got the money to go out and clearly haven't got the money to go out and spend loads of money on one player, especially, I mean, especially a right back. Obviously we were linked with that. Is it Mailer, the, the Danish right back? Yep. Or um, I'm trying to think it was someone else as there well. There was a guy but, at Olympiakos, wasn't there? Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I think his name was. I didn't want to try and attempt it, so well done. <laughs> yeah, I think it was, yeah, half decent. Um, and also, all the, play- the players you got rid of, I mean, you've got Hoot, who I'm sure everyone would agree has been a disaster. Mm. And I'm quite impressed we managed to get someone to have him on loan, let alone let him transfer. Yeah. I mean, Austin, I wouldn't have been that bothered if he left. I mean, I mean, I know Steve's a big fan. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Austin, in a, in a Haas and Hootel team, I, would, I would, wouldn't mind him going. I mean, if, if that, if that rumour is true about us turning down £7 million for a championship club, I mean, I'd, I'd be surprised. I'd, I'd be more inclined to think that it was Austin's idea to stay because probably because of the wage he's on and also he doesn't want to drop down to the championship. Yeah. And... A lot of other players in, in that squad who just, I, th- I can think of three or four who won't be there at the start of next season. Well, unless you're Fraser Forster, who probably will be. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I think we've got enough to stay up. I'd be shocked if we don't pick up points against the teams. I mean, we've still got Huddersfield at home, we've still got Fulham at home, Cardiff at home. Relatively tough away games. I mean, Newcastle is all, is, I mean, is winnable, but it's tough. But the, the fixtures we've got, the squad we've got, we should stay up. The only teams we've beaten under Arsenal who are home of Everton and Arsenal, whereas teams that come to us and sort of counter-attack or don't attack us as much, I think we'll struggle against. So that's that's my that's my only worry is teams that come to St Mary's and shut up shop, and we've got to try and use a bit of magic to beat them because without Reb, if we don't have Redmond or if he's has an off day like against Palace, I mean I know he's involved in the goal, but um, 
he just didn't, he didn't really get a kick for 90 minutes. And so if someone shuts us down like that, I do, I do worry about us breaking down teams at home. No. So, you, so you say we're, we're basically going to beat Liverpool and Bournemouth at home and that'll be it? <laughs> yes, I think Shane Long is to get the winner into Liverpool and, we'll, and Shane Long will cost Liverpool the title. That's literally what I'm saying. That'd be amazing. That'd be amazing. <laughs> that would be amazing. So uh, there we go. So no good stuff. Well, now earlier this week, Will Dorr and Leon Burton from SaintsArchive.com, as well as myself, had the pleasure of chatting to former Saint and 1976 Cup winner Jim McCallum. To freshen things up, as I'm sure some of you get uh, a little tired of my voice, I gave the reins to Will this week in our latest Total Recall. Bobby Stokes. to play. Here's Letizia! Who better to say farewell? Hi Jim, we've obviously got a few questions for you tonight and we really do appreciate you joining us for this uh, podcast. I do believe Leon wants to go first on this one, so uh, Leon, crack away. Thanks Will, good evening Jim. Good evening Leon. Great to have you on and everybody appreciates that. Yeah, it's a thrill to be on, Um, I've been looking forward to it. A first question then, Jim. Tell me the story of how it came about when you signed for Saints. I had fallen out with the assistant manager at um, Manchester United. There was a little problem uh, with him and it, it kind of escalated. And um, Tommy Doherty made a decision that uh, maybe in the best interest of the, the club that I would leave Um so that was how, how, how it came about. I, I was playing well at the club, but uh, settled in really well. It was disappointing, but to come to the Saints and to play with Mick Shannon and, and Peter Osgood and all the other boys, well, it wasn't too big a disappointment. And, uh, I, I, of course, I, I love my time at the Saints. So, you know, life was good, really. I've got a few questions, um, Jim, from some of our followers on both Facebook and Twitter. Um, yes. Let's go with Marlon on Twitter. What made you want to join the Saints? What wanted me to join the Saints really was to play with Mickey and, and play with, um, with Peter Osgood. Peter, I had played with Peter as a young boy, a young professional at Chelsea. Um, Peter was a great lad, great footballer. Um, and, and I was looking forward to, to, to playing again with Peter. Uh, and of course, Mickey was um, the England forward then, and uh, he was probably the first choice that, that, that was coming out of the heart, really, for forward positions. And, and having played against Mickey, I, I was certainly looking forward to knocking a few balls through for him. Fantastic, fantastic. I mean, there's some big names there that you, you mentioned. And just looking back on the footage, obviously, through Saints Archive and what we've done, and you playing a big part in it as well, particularly for uh, fans of my age group, you, you build on a bigger picture and a bigger story of the club. And having you interact with the with our members and, you know, talk about the good times and, and even the bad times occasionally, it certainly adds a real interactive feel uh, to the club we support. So uh, thank you. But uh, I do have a couple more questions from some of our Twitter users. Go ahead. Yeah, we've got uh, Doug McClellan. Uh, he has asked a really good question, actually. He said, from which players on the current Saints side would you have liked to have played alongside? Uh, I watched the Saints uh, uh, a little while ago. 
And I was quite impressed by uh, Nathan Redmond when they moved him to more of a central role. It, it didn't restrict him to being down the line uh, alone. Uh, I think he's a very quick player and, he, and he's also got two good feet. And I think, uh, you know, ho- hopefully they will keep him down the middle because, you know, he's very pacey and defenders don't like pacey forwards. They're, they're always trying to go back a yard or whatever, but with somebody like Redmond, uh, it'd be difficult to mark. Looking at some of the other uh, some of the other players there, they, they weren't doing so well at the particular time I've seen them. Uh, obviously, the manager has changed since then. Um, it, it looked to me like they were dreading playing at St Mary's. Um, I, I think the confidence was low, so it's always difficult to play when your confidence is low and, and unless you've got great characters in the team who can, can lift some of the boys in the dressing room besides uh, playing their own game and, and keeping on top of the, their own game but I think that's what's lacking a bit at Southampton that they, they perhaps need a leader there's nobody there that seems to me that's, that's leading and, and I, I think maybe if he could get a couple of leaders in, maybe one in the middle of the park and maybe a defender, uh, I think that would be a, a big plus for the Saints. Yeah, I love Redmond. I think he's a brilliant player. I think sometimes unfair criticism for some of his performances. He certainly, I think, improved a lot this season uh, under Ralph. Yeah, I think, I think when you're a forward, you will always be coming under criticism because when you're a forward, either a midfield player or, or, a, or a striker, or a wide player, you, you're having to try and create things. Whereas defenders, obviously, a lot of their game is, is to stop you playing. So they're facing the ball most of the time. So as a, a forward, either a midfield player or a striker, you you have to be trying to accept the ball on the turn and, and different skills come into it. So it's always that bit more difficult to be a, a forward player, I think. Yeah, um, I've got one final question from one of our Facebook users before uh, Leon and uh, Ben have their say. But um, uh, Paul Warner uh, wants to ask, uh, looked like you were getting some stick from Man United fans on the lap of honour in the 76 final. All he wants to know is, is, can you remember what they were saying? I'm supposed not all of it was clean. I, to be honest, I couldn't care less. I wasn't... Uh, <laughs> I wasn't particularly interested in what they were thinking. The the, the main thing was on the, the Friday before the game, I, I told you I, I left Manchester United because of uh, a problem with the assistant manager. But I recall him on the Friday afternoon when we were already at Wembley, the Saints team, and Man U came in. And he come over straight away. I was talking to Stuart Pearson and some of the Man U lads who I knew very well. And he started saying to me, oh, Jimmy Mack, you should be playing for us tomorrow. And and that was on the Friday. And I looked at him and I says, Cav, I says, I don't want to play for you tomorrow because we're going to beat you. I says, and, and that's it. And then he, he started ranting and raving. But that kind of set everything up for me. So anything that might happen after the game, you, you know, it's neither here nor there because the cup was already won. We deserved it. You know, we were under the cosh for the first 20 minutes, but generally speaking, we, we had control of the game. And uh, I don't remember their midfield player plus the, the two wingers getting a kick of the ball. So 
No, I, I, it was a fabulous time. It was great for, for somebody like Mick and, and Huey Fisher and some of the other guys that had, had been at the club and, and seen what had happened down through the years to actually be there and uh, and, and win a trophy. I, I think that was fabulous. So anything that Man United said uh, at that particular time, I wouldn't be listening to. I'd just be enjoying myself for the boys. Paul's going to uh, particularly like that answer. And I know a few of the archive members and Total Saints podcast uh, listeners will like as well. Of course, on that day, Saints were five to one, wasn't they, to, to win the cup? Um, just a couple of questions here. I've got one from Martin BT, and also the same question from Kevin Marshall from Saints Archive. Just want to talk about the free kick against Bradford in the quarterfinal, Jim. And they're asking, was that free kick rehearsed, or was it just off the cuff thing at the time? No, it wasn't rehearsed. Um, when when we got the free kick, I, I'd always liked to be involved with free kicks and penalty kicks and dead ball situations and corner kicks. And in fact, I, I think if you could take a corner at the Dell um, and, and, and place it accurately, which quite a lot of the times I, I used to take the corners, um, I, I think that was um, quite a feat, really, because it was a funny little area where you, you took the... You know, you took the corner kicks at the Dell. But as regards the, the, the free kick, we, we were stood over the ball, me and Oz, and, and all I said to Oz was, I said, Oz, just lift it up in the air, but lift it forward. And as Peter looked at me as if to think, well, you know what? So I said, just lift it up. And he, <laughs> he lifted it up, and of course, there was no way the defender, they usually have a charger in the defender to try and block something like that, but there was no way he could get me really because once once it was up in the air and I'd positioned myself, it was over the wall and in the back of the net. The, go- the goalkeeper never moved. And it's quite an easy free kick. Um, I know there was controversy about it, but to my way of thinking, and I, I've tried to be as objective as I, as I can, the ball certainly went forward. As long as it goes forward, a circumference of the ball, back then, that was the rules. But I believe they've, they, they, they maybe uh, tried to change the rules a bit after that. But it certainly wasn't against the rules. And uh, it, it was a lovely moment for myself. And I don't know what the hell I did, but I went to the right-hand side and I, I did a bit of a, a <laughs> I don't know, I think it was a week, I clicked my heels together but it was a fabulous moment and, uh, you know, we were, we were going further along the road than to the cup final. Another quick question here from Tim Hill on Saints Archive. Was there a point um, at any time in the competition that you thought you would go all the way to Wembley, Jim? Yes, definitely. The, the semi-final draw, we were in the dressing room and... Uh, the, the, the Dell dressing room then, you know, so as long as we kept Laurie out, there was a better room. But if, if <laughs> Laurie come in, there was no room. He was such a big guy. And and we were all sat there and we had the the press was there and, and we had the obligatory uh, radio there and we were listening to the draw. And I was so, you know, and everybody, we, we, we were wrapped up in that. And, of course, once it come out, Derby and Man United, I just jumped up in the air <laughs> because I, I knew that that was it. We were, we were in the final and we were, you know, I was positive that we would take care of Crystal Palace 
and then it would be like Mickey said uh, after we'd won the the semi-final we weren't going to Wembley to make up the sides we were going there because we were going to win it just another question I want to ask you Jim we've um, had some lovely clips of the dressing room at your time at Southampton and I think Mick Shannon's son he put a video on Saints Archive a little while ago Um, you're sat in the dressing room next to Peter Osgood and Mick Shannon's next to Peter Osgood, I think. Uh, you and Peter are both very quiet, but Mick's ranting and raving his head off at half-time, and then you can hear, suddenly hear Laurie saying, hold on a minute, lads, let me get a word in now, please. So, Jim, what was the, what was the dressing room like at, at Southampton at the time? Well, the, this is what I said in, uh, when we were talking earlier on, talking about the Saints today. They, they, they need somebody like that. They need people to discuss things in the dressing room and, and get them aired rather than, you know, leaving the ground and perhaps going for a coffee somewhere and, and, and talking about it there. It's better to talk about it in front of all of the boys. And, you know, Laurie was need. I don't think Laurie's particularly bothered, but Mick was an international. His opinion was very much valued, like most of the other guys. There was quite a lot of them in there that would give an opinion, i.e. Mel Blythe or Jim Steele. And, and of course, Ozzy would give his opinion. And, and we always had the, the experience of, of Huey Fisher, because Huey was, generally speaking, Huey would be the... So in between, he'd be the buffer and keep everybody a bit calm. But uh, no, that was great. I mean, Mick is Mick. He was a wonderful footballer. He's a wonderful man. And uh, yeah, that's the way a dressing room should be. Everybody out in the open, no behind backs and and talk in front of each other. Hi Jim, it's Ben here. I host the podcast. So first things first, it's uh, an absolute pleasure to speak to you and I've been listening away there very intently. Um, I had three questions actually. So my, my first one was just, uh, I can't believe we've got this far and not spoken about the goal yet. So um, I wanted you to tell us about your pass to Bobby. I mean, Bobby got all the credit for the goal, didn't he Jim? But it was your pass. Yeah, it was um, it was situations that we'd worked on at the uh, on the training field, and, and we talked about before the game actually about the the balls up to to Aussie and and Aussie to lay it back, and then trying to set Mickey and and set Bobby free, Bobby Stokes. But as it turned round this time, when he kicked it, he turned our goalkeeper. It, it was Mickey that actually laid the ball off. But as, if you watch the film, you can see me as he lays it off. I know the ball's there. It's not running away from me. It's in a nice position. And all I'm doing then is what a good inside forward or a good midfield player would do is look and weigh up your options. And I could hear Bobby in the inside left channel shouting, Jimmy Mack. And I just lifted it into that area 
um, for Bobby, but as you you see when the ball lands, the ball actually lifts up a bit. And that is because I've, I've not only lifted it in there, I've lifted it in with a little bit of spin underneath the ball so that when it hit the floor, it wouldn't roll on. It stays there and Bobby has to come back a wee bit to, to hit the ball. But, but Bobby, we knew, was a, was a really good striker of the ball, both feet. He was a good volleyer of the ball. And me and him used to spend a lot of time in the gym. And, and Bobby's hit it perfectly. He's totally caught Alex Stepney off guard. You can see he's off guard because he didn't think Bobby would hit it so quick. And Bobby's caught him beautifully. And uh, that was definitely a skill that Bobby was uh, capable of doing. And it couldn't have happened to a nicer, a nicer wee guy. And I still miss him and I miss Ozzy. I know you played in the 1966 FA Cup final for Sheffield Wednesday, didn't you? Uh, you know, to my knowledge, it was your only major honour, Jim. So I'm sure you're very proud of the FA Cup medal. But I guess just 10 years later, how sweet it was to come along and win the final. Yes, it was sweet to um, to come and win it ten years later. But the, the the thing I wanted to get over to um, Nicky Holmes and Paul Gilchrist and the younger guys, i.e. Ian Turner, uh, to uh, a certain extent, Peachy and and that and Bobby Stokes as well was looked. I played in this game ten years ago, and the game went past so quickly. And I was saying to them. Take your time, enjoy it, just soak in the the atmosphere and, and when you go out there, leave it all out on the pitch. It's no good as being back in the dressing room and, and we've still got energy to burn. We need to get rid of it on the pitch, especially the young guys running around for, for myself and for Peter Osgood. I could talk to you for hours, Jim, but one final question before I pass you back to Will then. Um, the memories of um, the bus trip around Southampton, I think that's the other thing. My dad still goes on about it now, 40 years later. The memories of that that bus trip of you guys going through town and it being mobbed. So I just wonder for, for some of us that maybe don't remember it, you know, your memories of that bus trip um, celebrating the win the, the day after in Southampton. Yeah, obviously we, we we took our coach to Eastleigh and we jumped on the the open uh, deck bus there, and and we got on it and uh, the the memories of, were fantastic. The the people of Southampton back then, with due respects, were were quite reserved, but they certainly forgot all about that that weekend and and they come out in the thousands and and it was wonderful to see them. Um, you know, supporting this and supporting the, 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 this fabulous little club that had brought a trophy back at last. So it was an amazing weekend. Um, I, I remember the, the chairman when we got up into the into the the city chambers, into the town hall. Uh, the chairman, George Reader, God rest his soul, he come yeah. up to me and I, I was sitting down and, and he mentioned to me, he says, I was, I was very pleased with you yesterday, Jim. And I said, oh, why? Why was that, Mr. Chairman? He says, well, you put that article in the paper that you were gunning for Tommy Doherty. He says, I was just a wee bit afraid that you might put two fingers up to him in front of the Royal Box. And I said, Mr. Chairman, there was no need for anything. We won the cup. We don't have any more questions for you, Jim. I, I wish I did, because I could let Ike Ben talk to you probably all evening long about the Saints. 
What I will say, though, is is that, and I think I said this for everyone, Leon and Ben, you were part of probably, the, if not the best day of Southampton supporters' lives, our history um, and our great club. We really do thank you uh, for playing your part and, and being an absolute professional. And um, thank you for coming on the show today. It's a pleasure for me and, and good luck to everybody. And, and of course, good luck to Southampton. I'm, I think I'm down there and in and, and a couple of months' time, I'm coming down for, for one of the games. And I'm hoping to uh, do another event in Southampton. So if everybody can keep a, a lookout for that, we had uh, Matt Letizia doing the last one and, and Mickey was supposed to do it as well. But unfortunately, Mickey wasn't uh, well. He had a bit of sciatica and Laurie took his place. But look out for it, guys. Um, I'm coming down with a few more legends for you. Thanks for having me, guys. Now, after the game, the Saints lads caught up with Gerald Sinstat. Here's some of the moments from that post-match interview. There it is. That's what it's all about. Silver with blue and yellow ribbons. Southampton the winners. And the man who scored the goal that gave Southampton the cup, Bobby Stokes. Bobby, the happiest day of your career? Oh, it's got to be, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The yep. day before. Oh, we'll can't say right. Yeah. <laughs> there was a moment earlier this season when you might have moved away from Southampton. Oh, yeah, Dana wrote to the local pumpy, yeah, but the move wasn't right, so I stayed with the boys. Really wasn't right, wasn't it? Now what about the goal? If you watch over there, I think you see it coming up. Now let's have it in your words when it when it uh, comes up. There it is. Well, uh, it's a good ball from Jim McCallum. Right. What a great ball! Uh, it just bounced out right for me. When you say it just bounced out right, I mean it really was a beauty, wasn't it? Were you expecting to see your name up in lights like that today? Nah, nah. It's a fairy tale. Just... Oh, yeah, great ball. Now where's Jim McCallum? Somewhere over there, Jim. Yeah. What about that ball? Yes, well, uh, I think I put it just a little bit behind him, actually. <laughs> no, uh, I just, when it got laid back off of Mickey, then uh, I seen Bobby running and I just uh, played it. You've managed, in fact, to play quite a few through that have put them under pressure. Mike Shannon had got through on a number. Uh, yes, well, you know, this is what we were sort of playing to, really. Up to Aussie, back, and then Mickey and Bobby running through. Well, now, we can show you the goal again, and we'll have a look at it now from behind the goal. I wonder if you'd tell us how you see it from here. Well, Jimmy McCallion actually, I think, had a little look before he struck that ball. Bobby ran forward well. I wondered if he was offside. I didn't realise he hit it as early as this. Full marks for doing that because he knew where the goal was and he stuck it right in the corner. That is a much better goal than I thought it was. I thought Bobby had took it on one stride, you know, a bit of control and then hit it. But the lad hit it and it was going away from him and he struck it in the, in the opposite corner. That was a very good goal, good technique. Many thanks for Jim for coming on. It's been a pleasure. This has been Total Recall. We hope you all enjoyed it. Total Saints Podcast. Total Saints Podcast with Ben Stanfield, Adam Leach, and Steve Grant. Sponsored by HappyHotTubs.co.uk. Thanks again to Jim for joining us. Really great to reminisce about a fabulous period in our club's history, albeit a few of us <coughs> weren't born. Right, to finish this week, a look ahead to next weekend's visit of Cardiff City to St Mary's. I'm sure, Sam, that Adam would say it's a must-win game. He's not here, so I'm going to say it's a must-win game on uh, his behalf. It's a must-win game, but for me anyway. Steve, must-win game? I think so. I'd go with Adam's usual thing of, of must-not-lose um, <laughs> as, as an absolute. Yeah. Uh, but then say it's probably a 95% must win. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, if we don't lose, that means they've not gained any ground on us. But it's a game where 
you've kind of got things in your own hands and you can affect your own position in, in that sense by just putting daylight between us. Um, you know that Cardiff generally away from home aren't particularly attack minded, whereas at home they'll play a fairly high tempo but percentage game. Um, as as you would expect from a Neil Warnock side. But away from home, I fully expect them to basically camp in their half and say, what have you got, lads? Yeah, and I was going to say, Sam, I mean, Steve's just hit the nail on the head there. We were talking before Jim McCallion came on about uh, teams shutting up shop at St Mary's, and I think we all expect that from Cardiff to come, and they're going to make themselves hard to break down and try and nick a, a goal or two on the break. Yeah, absolutely. I've got I'm going to have, going to have nightmares this week of an Imani Ass 90th minute winner. <laughs> and... um. I mean, yeah, Neil Warnock teams, you know what you're going to get. They're going to they're going to be hard to break down. They're going to be physical. And I, I went to Cardiff earlier in the season. That was obviously Hazel Hootel's, inverted commas, first game. And that's the game of I thought Valerie wasn't going to make it. Yeah. I thought this is going to be his last game for us. Credit, credit to him, he's come back. Because he, he had a horrible first half against um, Jacob or Josh Murphy. I can never remember which one's which. But, yeah, I mean, an early goal would be lovely because I think Cardiff would sort of panic a little bit if they let in an early goal. I think their whole plan is literally to shut up shop, as, as I keep saying, and try and nick a goal. And uh, my big prediction for this game is Neil Etheridge will be booked for time wasting at some point. <laughs> yeah, um, they obviously had a, a big win against uh, Bournemouth this weekend, Steve. I, I think, yeah, I know you were talking about Bournemouth's away record uh, before the Everton game. I think that's seven in a row that Bournemouth have lost now. So uh, uh, incredible when you think of their home form. But you know, surely. Hasenhutel's going to know the importance of this, and he's got a week to work on stuff with Saints. So you know, everyone in and around the club, it is another six points. But everyone's going to know, Steve, what you know the importance of getting three points from this game. Because as Sam mentioned earlier, I mean, Cardiff are only two points behind us after that win. So if the worst does happen, which you know, God forbid it doesn't, they will go above us. Yeah, um, I mean, Cardiff are on what twenty-two points now, which is about twelve points more than I expected them to have. Yeah. Um, at this stage of the season, so um, yeah, I mean, they've massively outperformed my my expectations what they've done is they've generally ground results out and it's generally not particularly pretty but at the end of the day if you're a Cardiff fan and you've now all of a sudden got a chance of staying up which this time four or five years ago when they were in the uh, last in the top flight they were dead and buried at this point Mm. they can see an opportunity Um, and ultimately it comes down to whether they've got the bottle for it whether the teams that they play against obviously including us have got the bottle for the fight to be fair we showed last season that eventually we did Mm. I mean personally I'd quite like us to be safe a lot sort of sooner than the last week of the season this time around but you never really know and I mean ultimately we've got that (laughs) rather rather lovely looking safety cushion of Huddersfield at home on the (laughs) final day um, as it's looking at the moment but Cardiff will fancy their chances certainly I mean, as you say, the two points behind us. So regardless of playing style and how many points either team should have at this at this stage of the season, I mean, bear in mind all our tossed away points from winning positions, mm. then, yeah, by all means, they fancy themselves. I mean, as, as Sam said, I think if we get an early goal, we could run out quite comfortable winners. Yeah. But I think it's quite important this game for fan base to stay patient. That was one thing that I know Ralph mentioned after the game on Wednesday against Palace was that everybody just got really impatient. It was like, well, can you not see the game? You you could you could see the way that the game is is unfolding and that mm. we're trying. It's it's not for the it's not for the lack of effort. It's that Palace have set themselves up in such a way that there's no way through. 
Mm. And you've got to you've just got to be patient and and trust that the way that you're doing things will eventually unlock a door. And it did like literally within 30 seconds of the biggest sort of period of groans from the from the crowd. Yeah. All of a sudden we unlock the door down that down that left flank and people have just got, got to learn to be patient. Great point there, and I had it down here to mention about uh, obviously Ralph's comments after the Palace game. So certainly echo that, and uh, you know hopefully fans won't get frustrated too quickly. It, it will probably be one of those games we are to eke out some results. And just before we go on to predictions, and I, I wasn't necessarily going to talk particularly long about it because it's you know not necessarily uh, the nicest topic, but just on behalf of TSP, obviously wanted to pay our respects to the friends and family and sort of Miliano Salo, who obviously disappeared over the uh, English Channel just after to sign in for Cardiff. It's uh, you know certainly I think been a bit of a shock to all of us in the, the football world, a bit like the uh, the Leicester helicopter crash. But I guess just to, to sort of finish on Cardiff, Sam, hopefully, fingers crossed, we will have Yoshida and Hoiberg certainly back, I would think. I'm not quite sure about Obafemi and Bertrand, but they're two players that you know potentially could be back. There's Lamina, I think, just had surgery. So there are sort of five, six players there that we've still got to come back into the squad that will add some strength. So hopefully at least three or four of those might be available for that game as well to give us a bit more of a sort of emphasis and uh, ability within the team. Yeah, I mean, the Bertrand situation seems a bit weird now. It's traffic the last time he played. Well, now the transfer window's shut, we should be fine. Yeah, it just seems a bit seems a bit strange. It seems a bit, about a month ago now, I think Ralph said he was going to be... He, was, he started training, he was, he's going to be back soon, but to no avail. But it'll make a massive difference for us, because obviously our, our whole width now is wing-backs. And, I mean, Target's done, done well, but he's just he's just not as good as Bertrand, as simple as that. And, yeah. Um, yeah, Obafemi, I mean, it's a shame for him because obviously he started coming into a bit of form and got the goal against Huddersfield and he's picked up this injury. And, I mean, Lamina, it'd be, it'd be really nice to have him back just because he adds a different dimension. I mean, in terms of home games, I'm, I'm not a big fan of Romeo being in midfield during for home games mm. against teams like Cardiff because I think I think he struggles a bit when we have to go forward. Obviously, he's, he's ideal for, for games against teams like Burnley away. <laughs> yeah, Burnley away. That's the other week when he played really well. Like an away game where he's got a really, he's got a, basically we've got to grind things out. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have the majority of the ball, I'd imagine, against Cardiff. And just in terms of forward passes, and he's not really the one to unlock the door. I mean, he does, he does, he does, he does a job, but yeah, you know, I'd like to see someone like Lamina back, but I don't think that's going to happen for Saturday. So yeah. Mm. But yeah, I'm, I've never been Yoshida's biggest fan, but. I mean, especially, it's, it's a shame because I think the best I've ever seen him play was that Chelsea game yeah. in January and he's off to the Asian games. Interesting to see um, who Ralph, if, if Ralph does bring him back into the team, like who he comes back in for. I mean, I'd, I'd guess Stevens maybe, but that that's only a guess just because those three started playing quite well together before Yoshida went away. Just be interesting to see if, if, if Ings is back as well. I mean, yep. as much as obviously we said earlier about the Ings situation in terms of whether we'll sign him or not, we just we just look such a, a much better team when he's in the side and just a bigger goal for it. It'd be interesting to see who he goes with if, if Ings isn't fit. I mean, Long, I mean, you know what you're going to get from Long, no goals and a lot of effort. Whereas obviously I think the other week you guys spoke about if you could combine Charlie Austin and Shane Long, you'd have some striker. Yep. And um, I wouldn't surprise you if he went with Austin in this game, actually. But, yeah, we'll see. Well, he went, he went, he went with Austin in Cardiff, didn't he? Yeah. He did. Yeah. Um, which I think everyone was surprised by, because I think given that, um, what, only two weeks previous had been the Fulham debacle where he'd had oh. um, like 16 touches in 70 minutes, mm. um, I think everyone was just assuming that, well, that's Austin done at the club. He wasn't going to play again. 
So yeah, I think um, yeah, I, I would expect, assuming Ings isn't available, I would probably expect Austin to start. Um, he might even play both. Yeah. Yeah. Um, not quite sure how you shoehorn both of them in. Although possible that we go with only four at the back, because mm. Cardiff are only going to play one up front. I guess the only thing is that the likes of Sean Morrison are typical championship defender and their balls that have been lumped up to Charlie Austin they'll possibly deal with all day whereas he won't fancy chasing Shane Long around will he but uh, just briefly then Steve just to finish um, Sam mentioned there possibly if Yoshida does come back in it will be Jack Stevens that, that loses his place again you know hypothetically um, what have you made of all the sort of vitriol um, around the, the Saints base I say some you know some Saints fans are, are clearly you know determined to just moan about things whatever happens on the pitch I mean I, I didn't think he did that bad at uh, Burnley yesterday I think he's been alright since he's been in the side but he seems to now be the one that's been targeted this weekend because of the penalty incident but just the, the sort of general I, I don't know what you call it immature behaviour within some of our fans particularly on social media it's uh, is it me being a bit of an old bugger about it or is it just getting out of control some of it I think it's it's all very tedious sometimes it's a case of well choose your battles lads like the the Austin thing where obviously everyone was getting on his case for a perceived lack of effort. I think when you do see a player that doesn't appear to be putting an effort in, like Austin and arguably Hoot as well at Fulham away, then I think fans are within their rights to to have a have a whinge. I'm struggling to think of anything that Stevens has done particularly badly. I mean, yeah, he gave, he gave away the penalty yesterday, but there, there will be a lot of defenders that will be un, unsettled by the presence of a six-foot-eight stick insect um, <laughs> jumping all over them he looked massive when he came on I've got to say he looked absolutely it's massive just, it's just he's grown since he left Saints yeah it's ridiculous there we go moving on to predictions then so I've managed to get a uh, far distant prediction in from Adam Leach I've let him go first Steve because we know what he's like so, right, so he's he's gone for 3-1 from far afield okay so he's gone 3-1 Saints because obviously he knows it's a must win game um, he didn't put that in his treat but I'm sure he would have so we'll come to you next Steve what do you reckon Cardiff at home yeah, uh, 2-0 you know, you're on a roll, of course, so you've got to keep the momentum going. So, uh, Sam, what do you reckon? Unfortunately, I'm, I'm going to say nil-nil. Nil-nil, all right. I'm taking your prediction, sorry. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm going to be quite pessimistic for a reason, but uh, look, I, I, I do think Saints will win, but there's so much pressure on this game that I don't want to be the one that says they'll win 2-1, which is what I think it will be, and then, of course, that'll be the absolute kiss of death. So just to make sure that doesn't happen, I'm going to go for Cardiff to win 1-0. Oof. Thanks to you all for listening to TSP. Steve, as always, thanks for joining us, and I think you're away on holiday next week as well, is that right? Yes, I'll be uh, sat by a pool or on a beach this time next week with a bit of luck. Smashing, so we'll have a, have a good one. We've managed to uh, rope in subject to change uh, Peachy's coming along, so Simon Peach is going to sit in for you next week, so uh, hopefully that'll be uh, good. Sam, likewise, uh, appreciate your time and joining us. Thanks for coming on, and uh, yeah, hopefully we can have you again on uh, at some point. Yeah, cheers for having me, guys. Thank you. Lovely. We'll be back next week when, as I say, Simon Peach will be with us post-Cardiff. So until then, have a good week and keep marching in.
The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly teaming up with Free for Mental Health Awareness Week this year. We understand that the journey as a supporter isn't always smooth sailing, but rest assured you're not alone. There's a vast network of fellow fans who share your passion and may be experiencing similar challenges. Honesty is key in any relationship. If your friend asks you how you are feeling, tell them honestly. If you're going through a difficult time, let them know. Opening up about how you are feeling can really make a difference. After all, they are your mates for a reason. Let's all take a moment to talk more than football. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.